Welcome to The Speech Link. I'm your host, Sharp Oshart, and I invite you to listen and learn practical strategies from experienced experts to take your therapy to the next level. Getting a child to say a good er sound is one thing, but getting them to use it consistently is another. Now, you know the easy R program for getting the er, but what about generalization? Well, what about the new R speech practice audios? Kids love to practice them and you quickly access them via QR codes. Go to speechdynamics.com to take advantage of the 40% off sale price. Do it now. Let us get going. <laughs> okay. Now, before we get started, I would like to mention some disclosures. Okay. So regarding financial disclosure, Nicole receives an honorarium for this podcast from speechtherapypd.com. And she is the founder and director of Mind in Motion Speech Language Pathology Clinic, for which she receives income. I also receive an honorarium for the speech link, and I'm a presenter for speechtherapypd.com and receive royalty payments. And I own Speech Dynamics. Regarding non-financial disclosures, Nicole is the Secretary of the Academy of Applied Myofunctional Sciences, AAMS, and the Myofunctional Therapy Section Leader of the American Academy of Physiological Medicine and Dentistry, AAPMD. And I have no non-financial disclosures. So there we go. We have it. Oh, welcome, everyone. Welcome to our live SpeechLink podcast brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. And tonight we are discussing a very practical topic, essential interdisciplinary management of pediatric sleep disordered breathing. And you are very, very welcome to participate. Just type your question or comment into the chat. And either as we go along toward the end of our time, you know, one way or another, and we'll see how it goes, one of us will read it and our esteemed guest will respond. So I'm Char Beauchart, your speech language pathologist host, and my goal is to connect and link with outstanding professionals in our field. And we dig in and discover practical information and ideas so that we can improve what we do so that our clients and our students can improve what they do. So to help us do that, my guest today is a very special, very informed, very experienced speech-language pathologist, Nicole Archambault, EDS, MS, CCC, SLP, CLEC, which is Certified Lactation Educator Counselor, and CIMI, Certified Instructor for Infant Massage. And she is the founder and executive director of her private practice company, Minds in Motion in Santa Monica, California. She is a highly experienced, certified speech-language pathologist, airway and sleep literacy advocate, and certified lactation educator and counselor. In addition to obtaining her BA and MS degrees in speech and hearing sciences, she holds an advanced graduate level degree, EDS, in brain research. I love it. Educational neuroscience. Also, she graduated in 2016 from the Mind Brain Teaching Graduate Certificate Program at Johns Hopkins University. Very cool. Nicole has a passion and a gift, if I might add, for teaching and writing and is an active clinical researcher and advocate for interdisciplinary collaboration, which is really important, and public health awareness, very important, on airway health and sleep. She is a national and international presenter, as well as a published author on the topics of educational neuroscience, oral facial myofunctional therapy, airway function disorders, and the autonomic nervous system and sleep wellness in pediatrics. Alongside an interdisciplinary team of colleagues, her research on nasal breathing, screening, and tongue mobility has been published in the International Journal of Otorhinolaryngology and the Journal of Oral Rehabilitation, respectively. I'm not done yet. Not surprisingly, Nicole has been presented with several awards. Her first article in the 2015 ASHA Leader, I have it right here. It is really, really good. And she, it's basically on sleep disordered breathing, which is what she's talking about now, as well as tongue ties. She garnered a Bronze Excel Award from the Association Media and Publishing for Best Column. 
I mean, amazing. And then in 2019, Nicole presented her capstone project from Johns Hopkins University at the World Sleep Society titled Oral Dysfunction and Sleep Meet Education, a four-part collaborative model for screenings. And she is a 2019 recipient of the Rising Star Investigator Award from the AAMS for great promise in the advancement of medicine via myofunctional sciences and an eight-time recipient of the ACE Award from ASHA. Also, very importantly, Nicole says that she is a grateful mom of two daughters, 10 and 12, and a rescue pup named Rapunzel. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the speech link, Nicole. Wow. I'm really blown away. Thank you, Shar. I'm so honored to be here with you to talk about a topic that's just near and dear to my heart with one of my most favorite people. Uh, <laughs> and I appreciate all that you have contributed throughout your career to our profession and, and that you, what you keep doing. And I want to thank you for that. And thank you everybody right now for being here tonight so that we can yes. discuss this really um, important topic. It's really very practical for all of us, regardless of your caseload and the types of kids you treat. And yes, whatever setting you might be in. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Now, I have heard you say, just to start us off here, Mm -hmm. that pediatric sleep disordered breathing, SDB, Mm -hmm. is a growing epidemic that can be harmful for children and potentially it can harm them throughout their lives, which is just amazing. I've also heard you say that it's within the scope of practice for speech language pathologists. So, and, you know, a lot of us think, well, you know, I, I'm totally focused on what they do when they're awake. <laughs> okay. What can I do? And, and why is this important? And how does it cross over into my scope of practice? Sure. And I bet a lot of people are wondering about that, but it does. It absolutely does. So start us off. What is SDB? Well, sleep disordered breathing is an umbrella term. Okay. It's, we can also think of sleep related breathing disorders. And in that umbrella, we we have a spectrum and it starts with mouth breathing, okay? And it's important to to consider or recognize that babies are born obligate nasal breathers, okay? So right now we've got about 55% of children, this was a study that they did in Brazil, showing that school-aged children are mouth breathing, okay? So we go from mouth breathing then to primary snoring. And then under this umbrella, we have upper airway resistance syndrome. Okay. And that is not having an apnea. It it can be this effort to breathe and there are sleep arousals or what we would call fragmentations in sleep Hmm. and our sleep at night is it's not just the quantity of sleep children get, it's the quality as well. Okay. Okay. Fragmentations. Um, You know, I have never heard that term. Does that mean that they sleep and then they awake or they're aroused a little bit and then they go back to sleep. So it's not just deep sleep or whatever the different waves are throughout the night that there's intermittent times where they're partially awake or. Well, they're just these these arousals that don't lead to good restorative sleep. So we want sleep to and healthy nighttime sleep breathing should be oxygenating the brain appropriately. It's allowing the body to restore because, you know, we spend a third of our lives sleeping and that third of the time sleeping is going to affect the other two thirds of our life really significantly. So Mm -hmm. that's where I will say as speech and language pathologists, we have this really unique role in understanding structures of the body, right? The functions of the body. And it could be, for instance, chewing, swallowing, speaking, and behaviors, So we have this really nice background that lends itself to us kind of stepping into this space to start screening for some of these things. Because regardless of if you're working with children who have fluency disorders or auditory processing disorders, um, sleep will impact and our breathing impacts everything we do. You know, it's it's like that foundation. You know, if, if we weren't considering how we breathe and where we breathed from, We wouldn't be talking about articulation. We wouldn't be talking about occlusion of the teeth and what our language looks like in our socialization. You have to have a pulse, you know, and we tend to take breathing for granted because it's just, it's automatic. We do it day in and day out. (laughs) So 
under sleep disorder breathing shar, the one that's um, also, so we go from mouth breathing and I want people to think of that as just like some smoke, okay? By the time we've progressed to primary snoring and upper airway resistance syndrome, we get to obstructive sleep apnea. And that's where we have this disruption or halt. It's an intermittent halt to breathing, all right? And children get that diagnosis through an overnight sleep study called a polysonography. And if they have an HI, which is an apnea hypopnea index score of 1.5 or greater, that's considered having OSA. And okay, are you going to explain more of that yeah, as, well, as we, uh, at the end? Yeah, or we'll, do you we'll, wanna... we'll talk more about this, but I want okay, to just great. point out that there's morbidity associated that, with that in children. So we're going to talk about how we can know what questions to be asking parents some of the red flags and and when you want to get them to medical providers, because it's the medical providers that have it in their scope of practice to diagnose sleep disorder breathing. We do not, you know, we can screen for it. We can treat the functions that become uh, impaired as a result of it, but we don't actually diagnose it. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. And this falls under our scope as far as looking at the markers or the different characteristics or potential causes. And then we make a referral. Now, if we're in the schools, we're going to, you know, kind of run into a wall there and we can talk about that. But technically you're saying that another professional needs to be involved. Well, that's correct. That's, that's a great point. And I think to really prepare people when you start getting into the world of airway and sleep, you're really dealing with the impact to a whole system. And so you are going to be working most of the time in an interdisciplinary team. Okay. So that could be the speech language pathologist or registered dental hygienist who has, or it could be an OT or a PT who has um, training in working with myofunctional oral facial malfunctional disorders. It could be your airway centered orthodontists and dentists. Your ENTs play a big role. Um, Obviously, we want to keep those pediatricians in the loop for everything we're doing. Allergists, okay, because breathing 24-7 needs to be through our noses, in and out. And it's continuous nasal breathing. It should be quiet. And we should do that with our tongues suctioned gently to the roof of the mouth and the lips closed. Mm -hmm. Okay. And And all gently relaxed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Those, you know, we can, we can look for signs of mouth breathing. I mean, my colleague, Sharon Moore in Australia wrote the phenomenal book, Sleep Wrecked Kids, which I recommend to anyone who is interested in this. Um, Sleep Wrecked? Wrecked Kids. Correct. She says sleep problems are literally in your face. And I always think, well, the mouth and face tell all. Right, Shar, you know this from all the work and the observer you are of your patients. Oh, yeah. Um, So, you know, is a child mouth breathing? Do you notice the lip posture open and a low forward tongue? Because these are adaptations of the body to support breathing. Because we know this with feeding kids, they're protecting their airways, aren't they? Well, so are children with with airway function disorders, right? They're... Mm -hmm. The body is adapting to keep that person alive. So if you see a low forward tongue posture, you want to be thinking because a lot of what we're going to talk about, even when we get into interdentalized speech sounds, these are just symptoms of an underlying problem. So I always say, I've got to be that onion peeler. You know, I want to find out what's the root cause of what's going on here. Why am I seeing this? Why is that? Does that child have a tongue tie that's restricting that tongue from suction and elevation or is it that they have a tongue tie and maybe they also have enlarged tonsils and adenoids? You know, they've got to bring the tongue out of that airway where those enlarged lymphatic tissues are obstructing it. Yes. So yes. you can see, do they have dry chapped lips? That might indicate that they're mouth breathing. We can look at in the primary dentition, we'll see more crowding or the occlusion when you start to see cross bites and overjets, things of that nature. What else? Hyponasal speech, right? That could be a sign of enlarged adenoids, right? Yeah. Children may present to you with a longer face. They may look to have a more retruded jaw. 
So these are all just red flags. These are things mm-hmm. that we should be considering. And I think the beauty in oral facial myofunctional therapy and really um, recognizing oral facial myofunctional disorders is that we can use those OMDs as clinical markers for sleep disordered breathing. So for instance, we can all look in the mouth and see if a child has enlarged tonsils. And you can use a Brodsky score and we want to look to see how what it's, those are based on a scale of like one to four. What would the percentage of that airway in the oral pharyngeal space is, is being taken up by those tonsils. So when we get to threes and fours, those become more concerning. And that's a way we can track a child over time because one day they may come in and they just have a little cold and it's not representative of them of that child over a longer period. Uh-huh. Um, we can also use those scores to report back to ENTs and say, look, this is all the stuff we're doing, but these tonsils are still enlarged. So it gives you kind of some documentation. Yes. I've always said as far as tonsils, because I mean, you can have an individual that has larger tonsils or they appear to be larger, but if they're in a larger pharyngeal space, it may not be an issue. And so, yes, you look at the the space in relationship to the size of the tissue and the the tonsils, basically. Yeah. So if you were to take a child, for example, with enlarged tonsils and they lay down at night to go to sleep, you know, if, if you think about a mouth breathing child in the day, an obstructed airway in the daytime is not going to look better at night when you lay down in a supine position, right? And the muscles on the yeah. back of the throat are relaxed, and then you've potentially got this obstruction back there as well. And so that's then where we see another oral facial malfunctional disorder and in terms of a tongue thrust, because for that person's survival, the tongue is working all night long to get out of the airway. So if you're seeing interdentalized S's and Z's or inner, some interdentalization of the lingual alveolar sounds like T's, D's, N's, and L's, that would be a good, you know, good markers um, to say, hey, what's going on? We got to kind of peel back this, this onion a little more, right? Yeah, I, I fully agree. And, and I've always, you know, as I've through the years talked about oral resting posture and specifically tongue position that you know, you have a tongue that is down, that's one, but then also to have a tongue that's down and forward is a whole other issue. Correct. And the ones that are, that are down and forward. Wow. There's just so many things that you really need to look at and analyze and compare and, and so on. And those are the ones that you're talking about right now, I think. So down is one thing I always sort of, I mean, there's so many reasons why the tongue may be down. I mean, you know, obviously gravity <laughs> Yeah, they could be maybe more, yeah, they could be more low tone kids. Sure. There's a lot of things sure. that contribute. No space available. Yeah. Dental arches are, yeah. And so there's a lot of things, but then you add that forward, forward issue, and you get a whole other range of <clears throat> or a list of things that you need to look at and be aware of as to what's going on. Yeah. And those and are the so ones that makes it more complicated. It does. And Shar, to your point, when your, your head follows your tongue. So then the other thing we see in these kids is forward head posture. And if you think about when we all took CPR, you know, what do we do with the mannequin? We extend yeah. head back because that's yeah. opening the airway. Well, the eyes will always write to the horizon, which is how then we go like this. And all of these muscles are sternocleidomastoids. Everything here, the accessory muscles were not designed they, they get overactivated and then we're using them all the time to carry the head and they're not supposed to be working that way. Wow. Interesting. So that speaks to, you know, we, we all didn't have a whole lot of choices in the last year and a half in terms of kids schooling on zoom, but anytime yeah. we can consider reducing screen time and technology or considering the ergonomics of the whole body, right? Because otherwise, again, we're just obstructing the airway more. Oh, yeah. 
I, the mouth is a crossroads of disciplines. And sure. I've always said there's just numerous things that could go wrong. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They're truly, they're truly is. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Sure. All right. Neil, you were talking about a, a more of a person that has a longer face. And that you're probably talking about, you know, and somebody may be going, you know, how come somebody would have a longer face? Did you want to talk about maybe a little bit with the sure. jaw positioning and how that can can alter craniofacial yeah. bone growth? Sure. That's an absolutely fantastic question. So I want to, to answer that, kind of go back to the importance of oral resting postures. Yeah. Right. It's mm-hmm. that suction to the palate. That tongue is like that expander for the, the roof of the mouth. We want to have these nice wide palates. Okay. And we want to have those lips closed because they're kind of like the braces for our teeth. And when our body, when the craniofacial respiratory complex has the opportunity to grow with oral resting postures at rest in an adequate position, mm-hmm. now we can suddenly grow faces forward, right? So if you could imagine, if I was a mouth breather, my jaw in an open position, and this is why what we matter, what we do at night matters, because for 10 hours, we're keeping our mouths open to breathe. You don't even take your muscles to the gym for 10 hours. Right. You no, know? and it's and it's frequency, intensity, and duration that rewires the brain. There you go. So if you do it for five minutes, okay. We've all done some things for five minutes. It didn't wreck our lives. But for 10 hours, that's a big deal. Interesting. So yeah. you have a jaw that's counter-rotating backwards. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, do you see my face is dropped? Mm-hmm. When my mandible is counter-rotated back because of the way we as human beings are designed and in standing, you have the spine, you have an airway, and you have the maxilla and the mandible. And as soon as they start going backwards, we are encroaching on the airway. So you know, you want kind of like people have said before, (laughs) you want a garden hose back there. You don't want to be the one sipping out of a coffee stirrer or a little tiny straw. (laughs) We want big airways. And that's why, yeah. yeah, that's why positioning of the, the jaws of our face in relationship to the airway really matter. And that's why it's not just all about straight teeth when people um, step into this space and start working with dentists and orthodontists. You want to find the ones who are airway centered that understand that, you know, we're all acting in this space to be architects of the airway. Yeah. So that jaw positioning over time, especially during the primary craniofacial bone growth years can literally alter the way that the face grows. Is that kind of where you're going? Exactly. Because that goes back to what you said in the beginning, talking about this is, this is really a foundation. And when we get resting postures and we get nasal breathing right from the get-go, then we're not setting children up for a lifetime of things that are just going to continue to snowball. Mm -hmm. Because when Mm -hmm. we look at health, when we look at health and optimal breathing in a 24 seven span. Like I want, I want to impress upon people today. This is not just about how you sleep, breathe, how you breathe at night during sleep. This is also about how you breathe during the day. Mm -hmm. Okay. We support good cardiovascular health when we breathe properly nighttime sleep breathing. It helps regulate our blood pressure, our endocrine system. It supports a healthy immune system, which I think everybody in this day and age is just we're, we're focusing on hopefully more because it's so important. Yeah. And for little kids, again, think about that kid who has the arousals or who has their stuff. They stop breathing at night. Well, if you're not getting into REM stage sleep, that's where we release growth hormones. So those kids aren't with, if you check, um, and if you ask on intakes about, uh, weight, and um, height in those percentiles, and you've got really little kids, that might be a red flag that they're not getting into that deeper REM stage sleep. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's not genetic. <laughs> yeah. No. So yeah, everybody in the family is not little. <laughs> ex- exactly. So that's, yeah. that's again, that wow. could be a red flag. So those are like, those are the health things that, you know, people can be set up for later. But children right now, what we see, we see this in research and we see it in clinical practice is that there is an impact to their learning and academics. And they've, they've literally, it was, they did some meta-analysis studies out of a dozen different countries and they found reading comprehension, reading and spelling, math and science were all impacted in these kids. 
Hmm. And if, and if you, we look at the neurocognitive issues, there's, they see an, an IQ loss of 10 points. Really? And wow. So and, I was just thinking, okay, if I could interrupt here. Yes. So, I mean, as you were sort of listing those with the reading and the math and so on, I'm thinking, okay, is that due to lack of attention and consistency of attention? But you're saying that something is actually happening there to decrease the IQ or is it both or can you separate the two? So let's talk about this. So executive function skills, our executive skill functions are in our prefrontal cortex, right? That CEO of the brain. So that's our problem solving, abstract reasoning, our ability to recall and pay attention. Those are all things impacted in kids with sleep disordered breathing. And believe it or not, even if you're a ch- if a child has primary snoring, that is not benign. There's issues with attention. There's issues to academics. Okay, there's cognitive impacts for these kids too. So what happens is this, there's kind of this rewiring of the brain because if you can think of it like it's a hypoxia. So you've got yeah. that piece, and we know in education that those metacognitive skills, our higher order thinking skills are the ones that make children successful in school. And yet we're seeing an impact to that part of the brain in the presence of sleep disordered breathing, which also brings me to the changes in the autonomic nervous system. Hmm. Okay? And, we, and we know there's two branches of that. We know there's the sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight, flight, or freeze. And then ah. there's the parasympathetics, which is your rest and digest. Okay. It becomes really hard. Well, first, let me backtrack. I'll tell you, share a little study. Okay. They looked at heart rate variability in children with a sleep disordered breathing and obstructive sleep apnea. Hmm. And they found that they had, there was like an overflow of activation of the sympathetic nervous system. Okay. And that not only was there an overflow for at night, but this was kind of bleeding into the daytime. What does that mean? That means they're stuck. These poor little kids are stuck in their limbic systems. They're stuck in fight, flight, or freeze, which is like feeling like that lion is chasing you all day long. Ah. So neurobiologically, when you're stuck in your limbic system, I call that being in limbic lockdown, you neurobiologically, you're in survival mode. You're not in the space of being able to access the prefrontal cortex where we pay attention where we're able to recall, <sighs> where we're able to generate new ideas and, <sighs> and problem solve. So see how they get, they get hit by, uh, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, potentially. Yeah. Interesting. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is so interesting. Did you get that from Johns Hopkins, <laughs> the, the brain certificate or whatever that you did, or have you just been studying this? I just love the brain. That's when I did my EDS. I did a lot of training with Eric Jensen before I ever did that in brain-based learning. And I just, I really genuinely want to know why human behavior occurs. Why do people behave the way they do? And I find the brain just really fascinating. There's so much to explore. And I'll say there's so much I still don't know, which I think you're, you're probably, we're similar being these lifelong learners and And I want to share with, or just say to everybody, if you're here, that means you're still learning and way to go because that's how we make our profession better. That's how we help patients. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And, and these are some really important pieces that you're connecting for us. This is excellent. Excellent. Thank you you for the opportunity to connect. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. So is there anything else about that, that you, I don't want to, you know, stop you mid thought. Um, Or do you want to move into, or is there anything else that you want to talk about as far as screening techniques and that kind of thing before we hop into management? Oh yeah, I do. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So let's talk about, we know we can use oral facial malfunctional disorders as our red flags or is components for screening. We can also start to ask questions at night. And I like to, if, if I know I've got a kiddo coming in and for an eval, I will ask a parent to look for specific things over the course of a week before they come in. And if you can't do that, it's okay. If you're in a school setting, you don't get that opportunity. It's okay. You can put this in a form. You can also use 
the Ferris Six, when I did some research on Ferris, the first one in our pilot study, we had 21 components of that airway screening. And now um, it's gone through various iterations. It's now down to Ferris Six. So just to put that on everyone's radar, that's something that only has six items that people can use that's validated and reliable. Where do we Um, access that? Um, you can go on, I want to say maybe it's ferris.org. I, I, I should I should have a better, if you put in That's Ferris right. study, it will come up. So it, Dr. Spell Sur- it. It's F-A-I-R-E-S-T. Ah, Ferris. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So people can access that. They can start looking into things like the pediatric sleep questionnaire to share with families, to, to share with a, a parent. Okay. But some of the things we, we want to be asking is, do you hear a child? Are they snoring at night? Do you hear their breathing? Okay. Because again, breathing needs to be, unless you've got that off, you know, you've got a cold once or twice a year, it really should be quiet. We shouldn't hear it. Okay. I know it's reassuring to new parents. We all wanted to hear our babies breathe. So we knew they were okay, but it should be quiet. Children gasping. They should not be gasping for air at night. And if they stop breathing and there's like a halt, that is a, do not collect $200. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. You get hold of your medical provider and let them know immediately what's happening. We want to look, are they restless sleepers? Because if there's an obstruction, the body is going to be like, gosh, I got to move. I got to open this airway. So they may look like the kid who fought with their sheets all night long right? May some of them sleep in different positions. You might find them more upright. They might fall out of the bed. Okay. We want to look at the head as it extended back. Okay. Because they're again, trying to open the airway. Do we hear them bruxing their teeth? This is not like when we used to think it was just people being stressed. That's the body's. It's actually a micro arousal that alerts the body to breathe. Oh, research on that, that came out of Canada bedwetting or like enuresis. Okay. There's, there's a hormone called BNP that's produced in the left side of the heart. And Hmm. when a child has, they've looked at kids with like obstructive sleep apnea, this hormone, this diuretic gets into the body. Well, as it floods the body, now kids need to to go to the bathroom. So they're wetting the bed. And that that is a sign of an overworked heart. And I I don't say that to scare families, but it's something to consider, right? What else? Just waking up, not being rested in the morning. You know, those kids that really struggle to get out of bed or they're still tired when they, you know, you put them in bed and they were there for 10 hours. Okay. Mm -hmm. The National Sleep Foundation, if anyone wants to go on there has great sleep recommendations. And the reason I like them is because they will give you sleep recommendations for various age groups. And they kind of give you a range, you know, to say, here's what's typical here. This may still be okay for certain people. So that's a nice resource to share with families. Okay. So those are things, you know, ask parents to be sleep detectives. I give them those kind of questions you know, and even engage kids in the conversation, or if they sleep with a sibling in a, in a shared room, sometimes siblings will start to report things. And I'm really of the mindset that we have to empower children to have some knowledge of their bodies this way. And to begin to recognize that while we think snoring is funny, if you look at a lot of children's books, even the little board books, you can think of the napping house right? Which is an amazing book. It should be a classic, I believe. But a lot of them make snoring a part of the story and they make it really funny. And Mm -hmm. if you think to like sitcoms and movies, people laugh over people snoring. I think there was an episode of Friends once. And so we've kind of, as a society, normalized this as something that's just fun. But what I would like to really impress today is that it can be the sign of a serious underlying medical issue. So does sleep apnea, when a person snores, is there definite sleep sleep apnea or is it just dependent on the amount or the type of snoring or, you know, how are they associated? Well, primary or habitual snoring, snoring three times a week or more is associated with obstructive sleep apnea. 
But, you know, you have to think of the airway in terms of there's all different levels of the airway. So I have seen children who mouth breathe that still had an overnight sleep study and came up with obstructive sleep apnea and there was no snoring. Really? Mm -hmm. No snoring. Wow. Okay. So these are, these are just to put these things out there as red flags, you know, and it's, Sometimes some of these red flags, if a child were gasping for air or they stop breathing, okay, that's a pretty obvious one. Some of the other pieces, you know, you, it's just like kids on the spectrum. It's not one thing that puts them on the spectrum per se. Right. So it's a spectrum, right? Yeah. Yeah, it it is. And it's just recognizing this is where we all have this. um, We're all so fortunate in our professions to step into the space if we choose and screen because if you can catch a child mouth breathing and you can restart retraining nasal breathing patterns by, you know, and finding out why you really have to find out why first, why are you seeing this type of breathing? Is it a structural piece? Are there functional factors? You know, you could have an adenotonsillectomy and essentially remove enlarged lymphatic tissues that are obstructing the airway. But now what's happened is you have a brain that's rewired itself to mouth breathe. So even though structurally there's that space to breathe, now we're having to retrain nasal breathing. And when you retrain nasal breathing, again, you're going to get kids into their parasympathetic nervous system. And about in classrooms, this was prior to the pandemic, but when I was at Hopkins, one of my professors, some of the research she had out of classrooms was that 25% of children were the emotion they were feeling was anxiety in class. You know, and I have a high proportion of kids on my caseload with airway function disorders who have anxiety, who have those diagnoses and or their parents are reporting a lot of signs and symptoms of them, of that. So you say they, they are in their limbic system. Yeah. They're kind of in that limbic lockdown. Limbic lockdown. Yeah. And not moving into the prefrontal cortex for learning. Right. Is that so, what you're saying? Yeah. So I'm saying ah. too if you're the speech and language pathologist who sees a lot of language kiddos, this is going to matter. This is going to matter as to how they learn language, how they retrieve their language. Because when we get good restorative sleep, we're able to consolidate new learning. We're able to consolidate memories for new learning. Right. And, and we can all as adults relate to how it feels to not sleep well. I mean, I, for one, don't function as well on less sleep. Um, Adults will become more somnolent. Um, children often do something very different where they bounce off the walls and teachers will report needing to be needing to peel them off the walls because their systems are exhausted, but they've got that battery running to keep them going. Yes. And so what can happen in a school setting is a lot of children who we think, who people might think, gosh, they present like a child with ADHD. Well, the symptoms of a child with ADHD present very similar to a child with SDB. And so having some of these tools, you can start to help your interdisciplinary teams in schools, if that's where you work, to to kind of figure this out. Because the last thing you want to do is take a kid with an airway function disorder who could use some orthopedic remodeling and expanding the roof of the mouth and some myofunctional therapy and put them on a medication that's really not needed for them. You know, we want to optimize the time we have with these kids. And that's where differential diagnosis really comes into play. And that's where we have to access all the people on our teams in our interdisciplinary community. Yes. Yes. And this is much more than, oh, I think I'll give a test. I think I'll get my, you know, all of my uh, scores and results. And then we'll go into the IAP or the eligibility and we'll say, yep, he qualifies or no, he doesn't. This is way beyond that. And would you like to get us into, I know that you were talking about advocacy and so on, and, you know, working with other professionals, working with the parents and so on, but also what can we do as speech language pathologists? And it can be, you know, someone in the, in the schools. I have a lot of people that watch and listen that are school SLPs and then also private practitioners and others that work in clinics and so on. So yeah, move us into, you know, the advocacy, the, you know, the therapeutic piece, if you would. Well, so management is very, it's complex. 
it's individual and it, it's varied, but we are going to look at this from an interdisciplinary standpoint. Okay. And, you know, there's a role there for ENTs, right? You may be sending to them because they're going to need to check all levels of that airway, right? We want to check because some of the things in your chart reviews and your intakes that might indicate that there could be a problem is enlarged tonsils and adenoids, like we talked about, chronic rhinitis and sinusitis, okay? Chronic like upper airway infections, all right? A child who's had GERD, who has failure to thrive, again, they might look really small. And also if your tonsils are enlarged, that's gonna affect how you, how you eat and the foods you're willing to take. And so how did we get into this space? This kind of connects to this a little bit. Why is it that children are mouth breathing? Okay. Right. We have, as a culture, gone from chewing foods and over time in this industrialized society, we now are presenting food like purees for this very extended time, not just baby food. If you think about children that now take pouches, I once had a mom friend who brought her child over and his little box of goodies that he had, they unzipped it and all these pouches fell out. Hmm. Um, Because you're sucking your food. Same thing if you take a smoothie. So when we chew and when we masticate, we're helping to grow the cranial facial respiratory complex. We're helping to grow better airways. We're helping to grow, you know, improve oral function. So that's a really important component um, to consider when we're working in this space. Right. Is is looking at some of those feeding pieces. Right. Okay. Um, Get me back to that ENT. Okay. Because not every ENT is going to know or connect the dots like you are. Right. And and so are we looking for a specifically type of, or a person that's trained airway centric or how do we know? (laughs) Because there's, you know, the, the worst thing is for, you know, us as SLPs, to make a referral and the person at the, you know, that maybe they go to an ENT and they go, Oh no, those tonsils are fine. Oh no. The kid can get, you know, can breathe through there. There is no problem. And it makes the SLP, you know, look like we have egg on our face and, and there we go, you know, there goes the credibility. So okay. how do we sort through that or do we? You have such good questions. We do. And <laughs> what we do. And what I like to do, Shar, is I like to send information ahead of time. Ah, I, I find NTs like to know why you're sending. So going back to taking a Brodsky score for a child's tonsils, you can share that. You can say on such and such date, or I've been seeing this over time, this child's tonsils have been for three months or two months or whatever, whenever you get them there, hopefully you get them there sooner rather than later. They've, they've been enlarged like this. You can talk about the percentage of the time the parents see them with their mouths open in the day. Okay. And I will ask doctors, I mean, can we check the turbinates when you have enlarged turbinates, that could be a blockage to, you know, nasal patency. You could have a deviated septum that's impacting the airway as well. We want them to look at the oral pharyngeal space in the back. So if you take a Friedman or a Malampati score, which is something that we look at, we can use, those are scores from anesthesiologists. We concern ourselves with threes and fours. And again, and it's the mal- malampati, right? Malampati and, and the Friedman. Mm-hmm. Malampati, you, you extend the tongue out, the Friedman, the tongue is in. I personally prefer the Friedman because we don't walk around in reality. We're not walking around with our tongues out. Yeah. So I'd rather be more conservative in the case of a growing child. Okay. Okay. So those are all things you can send ahead of time, you know, collect your data. And then I would always say, because we really are more the experts in function and behavior, right? The ENT is going to know all these structures, but if you can support a child by saying there's presence of a reverse swallow pattern, you can start to show the, the, the functions, the oral functions that are impacted. You can start to talk about the behaviors that are going on in the daytime, like hyperactivity or fidgeting maybe they're having more outbursts because that's another piece. It's harder to self-regulate for some of these kids. You know, we know there's a two time 
the risk of um, exhibiting just bullying behaviors increases two times. It's two times greater in our kids with sleep disordered breathing. They're bullying. Yeah, bullying. So imagine if you have a problem with bullying in your schools and we could screen for this, we might be able to help bullying in a way where we weren't looking at it before. Yeah. So the ENTs, I've worked with ENTs. Some of them will say things like, I can see there may be some allergies here. Okay, because again, allergies can inflame things in the body and obstruct the airway. So allergists are another important piece to this. Okay, there are some children who go on CPAP, but I personally haven't worked with them. It's it's never it's never been that severe. When we look to airway center dentists and orthodontists they may be looking again at what we call orthopedic remodeling. So it's not just about putting these braces and brackets on these malocclusions. It's about helping and supporting the palate to grow, these, the, the maxilla and the mandible to be positioned in a way that's supportive of the most optimal airway. Okay, we can look at weight loss because we know that BMI is a risk factor for children to have sleep disordered breathing. So if we can educate families on lifestyle choices, dietary choices. Body mass index, is it higher in individuals? It, it that can be, but I don't want people to think lower. that someone who has a low BMI doesn't have them because I've seen adults who are very on the slender side and, and they're snoring away at night and they have problems. So let's say you have a child who has a higher BMI. There's imaging in studies that actually show, we think of like the the waste, right? We think of that as where adipose tissue collects. It also, we also get it in in the back of the throat, in the the airway. So we don't see that, but that's not supporting a good airway. And the other piece is it's also limiting how the diaphragm can work in all those muscles when we're, when we're dealing with that extra weight. Interesting. Well, I think I'm just going to go to sleep right now. <laughs> Will it help my weight? As long as I'm, you're perfect. And as long as oh, I'm not yeah, putting I, you to sleep right now. You're up. I'd look at, yeah. <laughs> but that does help. Sleep actually helps people regulate their weight. And it helps you keep, go. you know, levels of cortisol under control. And for anybody right now, and I'm going to say this, is practitioners our own mental health is really imperative for the kids we work with. You know, children regulate just like they regulate off their parents. They're going to regulate off us when we come in. So when we have good sleep hygiene practices ourselves, which I'm happy to share some of those with you, then we can go in having less anxiety, less depression, because those are kind of comorbidities that come with this type of stuff. Interesting. Very interesting. Wow. This is amazing. I mean, this truly is a foundation for life. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I mean, you know, when I think of being a speech language pathologist, I think of speech sounds and I think of language and communications and so on. But the mouth really is so influential in so many other things is what you're telling us. It it absolutely is. It's kind of like a gateway to health. And like you said, there's so many professions involved in this. It does, it's not owned by any one of us, but it's affecting a whole system. And regardless of what we do as speech and language pathologists in our day-to-day jobs, we can really enhance and optimize children's functioning in whatever we're trying to get them to do when we support healthy airways, when we support healthy sleep. And, you know, we can, we can educate teachers. I feel like I must be giving presentations all day long because I'm always educating parents, even even the people that call for a phone intake, if I just gave them some information and they never even come to my clinic, but I planted some seeds, those seeds might help that child. And they, they, that parent might go advocate for them. They might yeah. do things that will support healthy breathing 24 seven. Right. Right. Yeah. When things kind of get back to a little more normal, uh-huh. you know, we're here in, in the COVID years, We thought it was two weeks, but we're here in the years. And maybe when things get back to in-person and where we can maybe even, I'm thinking, do like a workshop or something for parents, you know, like a training and just 
put the word out. I used to do that kind of thing, not yeah. on this particular topic, but I did. I've done, you know, several uh, workshops for parents and workshops for teachers. And I could really see where this topic would be really applicable and really beneficial for teachers and for parents. Absolutely. Just general knowledge for people. And if you're inviting me to do that with you, Shar, I'm, I'm there with you. Oh, let's do it. Okay. okay. I All right. Totally do it. Okay. We All right. So much fun. We have it recorded. I'm holding you to it. Okay. It's a plan. Okay. Keep my promises. That sounds really good. Really I good. I think it would be so. You know, even if you did a video, okay, and you know, a therapist could play that video for parents or something. I don't know, but you know, this is this is such an important, relevant message, and it just is. I mean, it hits so many areas of people's lives. And I can think of really a lot of kids that I've worked with that were bouncing off the walls and that were not moving along and accelerating as they should in their academics and, you know, interacting with kids in a very negative way. And this might have been a factor. You know, if nothing else, I'd like to look at those kids. You know, if if I were back in the schools or had my private practice again, I would look to these kids and at least go through this so that I could say, yes, this is happening. Let's do something or nope, it isn't. Let's take it off the list. Right. We'll keep looking at some other things. Exactly. This this is just, it's very, very useful. So what are some other things that we can do do. to manage and so on? Perfect. So we can implement myofunctional therapy. Some speech and language pathologists are trained to do this. Some don't, and that's okay. Just find those that are. You can go through places like the IAOM, the AOMT. Some of these organizations will have lists of people that are trained. And again, they could be an SLP, a hygienist, an OT or a PT, just depends. There was a study in the last couple of years that came out about lingual um, uh, frenuloplasty. Okay, so release of the tongue tie in conjunction with myofunctional therapy Um, In those outcomes, they were seeing an improvement to mouth breathing and snoring. Myofunctional therapy, when they were looked at the impact of myofunctional therapy and obstructive sleep apnea in children, they found that there was a reduction in the apnea hypopnea index score by 62%. So it may not be one single thing you're going to do. It may be a few things you do together. Right. And I I think when you start looking at some of these children too, I'm a believer in looking at the whole child, but occupational therapists play a big role because they're so good with sensory processing and helping kids self-regulate. And those are some of the struggles these kids are having, or if our kids are coming in and they're low tone and they don't have good core support, how in the world can we expect them to have a support for breathing? Right. You know, or, or that, you get that core strength and you know this char from all your work too. You've got that core stability, core strength. Now you have stability in the mouth for all these fine motor movements that we make with speaking and swallowing and chewing. Yes. Um, We can also look at sleep hygiene, which is super important, which I will say I've seen a lot of that impacted where it's been trickier in the pandemic with children home. I've had a lot of parents tell me they're not keeping kids to nightly bedtime routines, which is super important, taking away those, the technology an hour or two before bed and reducing that blue light exposure. Okay. Blue light in the daytime is fine, but at night you don't want it disrupting the production of melatonin. And you want to start, you know, turning down lights because you want to signal to the body, Hey, you know, it's, it's time for sleep here. This is the time we restore and we want to follow those circadian rhythms and promote it by turning down lights, considering what kind of, you know, we want cooler room temperatures, bedding and, and, and clothing that is not too warm for children. I personally like an attitude, I call it the, the gratitude practice, where attitude of gratitude, you talk about what are you grateful for at the end of the day? Sometimes kids can't connect to sleep because those, those minds are just still spinning and running from whatever happened in the daytime and they need to a chance to either think of what is positive, or maybe they need to dump some of that in a journal or just tell you something about it and wish it goodbye in a, in a let it go balloon or something, Uh you know, that's yeah. There you go. There's a lot. And, you know, I'm just sharing some things, all of you or speech language pathologists are some of the most creative professionals. There's so many things to come up with. 
but we're lucky because there's a lot of people who've done a lot of good research who are practicing in this area. And I think when people get into it, they end up feeling really passionate because they do see a difference. They see a change and they know they're impacting a child, not just in that day, but you could be potentially impacting them in positive ways forever. Mm -hmm. You're optimizing their potential. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have forms, you know, that, that you have devised that you share with other people or perhaps, you know, I mean, I, I love this article that you wrote and I'm going to hold this up. I mean, oh. I, this was the ASHA 2015 article and I love this article. Thank you. And in, in fact, I shared this with an SLP that I've sort of been mentoring over the past few months. Uh-huh. And she has a really interesting case and it sounded kind of like you know, her seven-year-old, you know, very interesting case might fall in line with some of the things that you're talking about. So I would highly recommend this. This is your 2015 article in the ASHA Leader, and it's called The Tongue Was Involved, But What Was the Trouble? And I have to say it's very well written. It's very direct. It's very personal, you know, as far as, you know, a case that you had and that you documented and what you did. And I really like that. I would highly recommend people to go there. But do you have other places or things that you, you know, would share? So if you're bringing an article, I feel it's only fair. I'll share with you. This is one I wrote in 2018 that was on the cover of the Ash Leader. Ah, um, yes. It was yes. what this one called Healthy Breathing Around the Clock. So ah. in this article, it was the cover article. So there's a lot of good information. There's some of the research from what we talked about today, some of the signs to look for in mouth breathing are in here, some suggestions for cultivating a sleep mindset for sleep hygiene. So I would, you guys can all access this online. It's obviously an old issue, but you can go to the Ashalator and, and put that in right. healthy around the clock. Or if you okay. put it on my website, I think it's up there. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. But, you know, I'm happy if, if there's a need after this and people find they need certain forms or something, you know, we can find a way for you to let me know. Okay. And you do have a website. I do have a website. Website. It's um, www.mindsinmotiontherapy.com. And is it mind or minds? Minds with a plural. Okay. Minds okay. in motion. Dot com. Okay, perfect. Yeah. All right. Therapy. Yeah. Okay. And can we connect with you via your email? You're more than welcome to. Yes. Okay. What would that be? It's Nicole, N I C O L E, at minds with an S, in motion therapy.com. Perfect. Excellent. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Very, very good. I just, I'm just glad that you're on our side, you know, uh-huh. and, and you, I have just come up with some great information and you know, you're know, you the kind of person that, I mean, I just recognize in you, you know, that you want to contribute to the field, but you also have this deep desire to reach in and pull out and, you know, look at this piece and how does it connect to these? Yeah. And you've connected a lot of dots for us. Yay. Good. I yes. like puzzles. And I think that's why I like diagnostics so much because it's looking at all these puzzle pieces and how do they fit together? So, you know, exactly. I thank you so much, you know, for allowing me to connect with all of you and I commend everyone for everything they're doing in our profession. Yes. Oh, we have a lot of good therapists out there. We do. Definitely. We Kids do. Are lucky. Their yes. families are lucky. Yeah. Yes, they are. Very, very much so. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Nicole. I, thank you. I, I, yes, thank you. I have, you know, some final things here, but I just want to thank you so much. Oh, Bless you yeah. for all of your contributions and everything that you okay. shared here tonight. And I know it's a lot of information to sort of compress into a short length of time, but you did a great job. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for all your great questions and just for having me here. I feel absolutely honored. This meant a lot. Oh, oh, so. thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. (laughs) Oh, bless you. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. All right, everybody. Also, I want to thank all of you for being here, for tuning in, and for continuing to get the word out about the SpeechLink podcast, which is obviously now visual. And it used to be just auditory. So I'm loving the visual piece. 
And also you get your practical information and earn your CEU. So I greatly appreciate all of your positive comments and your reviews and your support. And I read all of your, your reviews and so on. And just do know that the speech link meets every other Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern time. The next time that we meet is September 9, same time. And Megan Panettiere, SLP, will share the art of accessing and applying amazing materials and activities from the library. She's a burst of energy. She and her three-year-old daughter at the time went around to over 70 of the libraries in Los Angeles. They visited every single one. And she has some very intriguing, very creative ways that we can use the library and access the information and apply it in our therapy. So she's also going to be somebody that you're you're going to want to tune in 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 two weeks. So also, as you know, as we wrap up, just log into your speechtherapypd.com account, speechtherapypd.com account, take the quiz, do the evaluation and print out your certificate. And in a few days, also do know that the audio version of this episode will be available for free on all of the popular podcast apps like Apple Podcast and TuneIn and Podbean and Spotify and all of those. So the primary thing, I do want you to know that you are greatly, greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for all that you do for your therapy kids. We'll see you next time. Bye, Nicole. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm thrilled you tuned into the speech link. I hope it was helpful. Just leave a quick review and subscribe to be part of a select group that receives every episode. For CEUs, go to speechtherapypd.com. And for everything else, visit charboshart.com. There's free materials, articles, books, and my blog, Therapy Matters. Thank you for all you do. See you next time. Thank you.